Hello and welcome to another edition of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. Delighted to be coming to you again from the audio studios of Our Daily Bread, the organization that works around the world to better your and my relationship with God. And uh, we have a guest today, and we're really excited to introduce him. So uh, this is actually Chad and I's first meeting, first in-person meeting with our guest today, Tim Heilman, who is from Michigan and uh, not uh, the same kind of guest that we've had before. In fact, uh, he's he's got a great title. He's the president and CEO of something. Chad, have you ever been the president and CEO of anything? Uh, no, nor do I guess I'll ever be. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. That's, yeah. uh, that makes things rough. Yeah. So Tim Heilman is the president and CEO of Special Olympics Michigan, which is uh, a national organization and in many ways an international organization, uh, broken up into smaller sections in, in the state of Michigan in the United States. Tim, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. Great to have you here. Can you tell us just, can you walk us through what it takes to get to the level where you are now president and CEO of Special Olympics? I'm guessing that you started working in the organization many, many years ago. So actually, I have been on the job all of five months, which is an exciting kind of piece. Even better. Going, yeah, so that <laughs> just proves the point that we just met for the first time uh, earlier today and going. But yeah, it's been a, um, you know incredible blessing uh, to be a part of, of Special Olympics and Special Olympics Michigan. So could you tell us what that means? What is Special Olympics Michigan? I know that uh, I've worked with Special Olympics, and, and in my particular area, it's called Area 11, I think. Yeah. So uh, what are these areas, and how does that work? Sure. So so I'll kind of give the, the full kind of picture of Special Olympics because it's a, a fascinating component of, of really it's a global movement. Um, you alluded to that before of international prowess, but, but essentially it's a global movement um, with over 5 million athletes, 170 countries, where the goal is just to use sports as a catalyst in using that transformative power to change lives um, for athletes. Here in Michigan, uh, we have 27,000 athletes partners, um, and it's really kind of a grassroots movement as well. Um, out of our 27,000 athletes, we have about 30,000 volunteers. The state is broken up into four regions, so our Upper Peninsula, Northern Michigan, Southwest Michigan, and Southeast Michigan. And then within that, as you mentioned, the different areas. So out of those four regions, we have 37 areas that are even more specific to local counties, communities. And through those, all of those areas um, have different sports where the athletes compete, participate, and then work their way up to um, with their goal of winning a gold medal at a statewide competition. Awesome. Well, let's let's back up just a little bit because I'm not sure everybody knows. Everybody, I think, has heard of Special Olympics, but I'm sure not everybody knows how it's defined, how it got started, how it's evolved. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I know that sort of the founding member is Unity, Eunice Kennedy Shriver. That's it sort correct. of started yep. in her backyard mm -hmm. uh, at a day camp. I think, and she was uh, concerned that there was uh, pretty much a societal separation for people with intellectual disabilities and started a day camp, brought sports into that day camp. Thank you, ESPN Shorts. Uh, that's helping me out a little bit here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fantastic. And uh, 
from there, it's blossomed into this, like you said, 5 million participants. Can you tell us a little bit about how, from the beginning, uh, Special Olympics has grown and developed? Yeah, and I think that's really important to know that that founding story um, because when Special Olympics was founded, there was a lot of political unrest, social inequality, racial inequality, um, and so obviously the Kennedy family, you know, the, this this credible institution for our country. Um, but Eunice Kennedy Shriver had a sister um, by the name of Rosemary, um, Rosemary Kennedy, or um, Kennedy, who had a intellectual disability. And again, when you're talking about the '60s, generally an individual, if you had an intellectual disability, you were put into an institution or segregated. It was not norm to be a part of that family structure or culture. And the Kennedy said, "No, that that's not how we are. We are a family." And so. Rosemary was a part of that that kind of family component, just like any other brother or sister. But what they found was, just as I mentioned, that that's not the case for everyone else. And so that really kind of, kind of lit, lit a, a fire and passion under uh, Eunice, um, who loved sports, was very active, a, a great athlete, and had a you know deep love of her sister and said, you know, there should be opportunities for everyone with with intellectual disabilities and so um, in in the early 60s in their family farm in Maryland started this summer camp um, the first one brought 28 individuals of young campers different um, intellectual abilities and around 34 counselors of, of partners to assist and they played games and set up sporting events and relays and activity and swimming. And from there, it, it just kind of grew and blossomed and, you know, Eunice and, and just saw that this is good. This is what's supposed to be right. From that, um, moved towards uh, the official first ever Special Olympic Games, which was held at Soldier Field. And so after Eunice said, boy, seeing this camp and seeing the interaction and sports and, and, and again, this um, you know, kind of inclusive model of, of equality saying, okay, how can we do this on a larger scale? And so um, worked with Parks and Rec um, system, the school system in Chicago and held the first ever um, true Special Olympic event right at Soldier Field and, and um, you know, flash forward 50 years and just this past July, they were celebrating its 50th anniversary. But from from that backyard of kind of mission of saying, you know what, everyone should be seen for their gifts and abilities um, and using sports as that way. And so the organization has really transformed in the last 50 years from, you know, sports to awareness to advocacy, health and wellness uh, that we'll get into in, in a little bit. But it's always been kind of sports at its core to to kind of help eliminate uh, discrimination and, and really allow individuals to, to be seen for their gifts and abilities. So we've got, uh, Tim, the Olympic Games. People are very familiar with that across the globe. These are among the most popular sporting events, you know, uh, of all time. We've got the Special Olympics. We've got the Paralympics. There's these, these separations. I think sometimes some of these things are, are, are maybe conflated in ways that are, are not, not accurate to what's going on, right? So we have the, the Olympic Games. We have the Paralympic Games, which are connected to the Olympic Games, right, mm-hmm. but uh, are serving uh, individuals with, with physical disabilities, wheelchair events, other, other events that are 
where accommodations are made for, for individuals that wouldn't be able to participate in a way that, that would occur in the Olympic Games. And then we've got the Special Olympics. The Special Olympics uses the same, the same name, right? this Olympic name that, that the International Olympic Committee usually holds so near and dear to, to their hearts and doesn't share with anybody. Mm-hmm. This is, I think the Special Olympics might be the only organization in the world that's allowed to use that Olympic term. Yep, you're correct. So what is, is is there any connection between the Special Olympics, the Paralympics, and the Olympic Games? So yes and no, kind of in, in that that piece. So you're exactly correct that there are no other organizations or institutions that is allowed to use that Olympic name, you know, and, and just like the General Olympics and Paralympics and Special Olympics, the goal is for high athlete performance, individuals striving to be their best and and working and serving towards a common goal together. You know, as we say, all those great things about sports, that teamwork, that empowerment, that joy. Um, Differences are, again, where Paralympics, as you mentioned, are those with physical disabilities. Special Olympics um, works and provides opportunities for those with intellectual disabilities, as well as um, what we call now this new unified strategy of those with and without intellectual disabilities. But um, so we, we all kind of share in the, the the brotherhood of the Olympic name and hold that to a really high standard for all sports and activities. Um, but again, very three very separate kind of components as well. We're speaking with Tim Heilman, the president and CEO of Special Olympics Michigan. And I'm as I'm listening to you, it seems like there is a pretty intentional movement to take the Special Olympics sort of into the next phase. And so I heard the phrase sport for those with and those without intellectual disabilities. Can you tell me how that works? Yeah. So so as I mentioned, we've celebrated kind of the, the 50 years of, of Special Olympics, and, and it's been um, you know, this, this growing movement of understanding and, and showcasing the greatness of our athletes, the fearlessness of our athletes. But, um, you know, I, I think it's appropriate to um, acknowledge that there's been some past criticism sometimes in the past of, you know, maybe segregation. And while Special Olympics is, you know, as we look at a, a completely inclusive organization, um, there was a time where individuals would say, well, if all the sports teams and everything are just for intellectual disabilities and those participating, you know, while that's inclusive to them, how is that inclusive to the greater society? And, and really kind of looking at that um, model and saying, okay, well, where Eunice's goal was sports and love sports, it was really raising the profile of inclusion, you know, as I mentioned with her sister and saying, you know, everyone should be together. And so, the last 15 years or so, um, Special Olympics has been pivoting um, to, to kind of a, a new model of sports, um, kind of a, called a unified concept. And that's really this next step to the next 50 years of having individuals with intellectual disabilities partner and compete with peers um, that, that don't necessarily have the intellectual disability. In Michigan, it, it's our largest growing component. That's our you know mission um, and strategic priority moving forward is this unified piece. Um, it starts right now, we're starting with our strategy in the school systems, you know, so uh, 
other states have different um, ideas, strategies. Everyone believes in this unified um, position and, and how do we you know, end discrimination utilizing sports. Um, in Michigan, we've said this is, this is a priority where we need to kind of continue to push this because we've seen um, just this transformative power with students. So a unified approach for, for us in Special Olympics Michigan is really kind of three phases of elementary school, middle school, and high school. And, and what we have are called unified champion schools. And so we go into a school, we talk to the administration, superintendents, special education teachers, share a little bit about Special Olympics, but really say, you know, we want to be able to assist your student body, athletes, peer students, in really this kind of join justice component of understanding what true inclusion means. And so we help those schools set up sports teams um, and they kind of take it and run with it. There's a um, social action component where we work on anti-bullying, um, a large campaign to end the R word. And then the goal is that if you're competing with a peer with or without an intellectual disability in, in elementary school or middle school or high school, it's, it's normal, that's life. Um, and so when they get out to college, we have college teams now because individuals in high school, that's what they're used to of, of playing sports and hanging out and there's that culture moving out to, to college and then throughout the world. And so this unified approach is really how we feel we're gonna be able to um, lead this movement of ending um, injustice. It seems that unified sport programs are becoming much more uh, prevalent, at least in our area here. People are becoming more aware of what's going on. At, at least this term, uni uh, unified sport, the, this, this model mm -hmm. where we have individuals with intellectual disabilities playing uh, alongside individuals without intellectual disabilities. Sport, uh, while it has had moments throughout history of discrimination in any number of ways, sport at the elite level now still discriminates based on ability. And so help me, help us understand what a unified sport team might look like and how that gets to be a competitive activity. Yeah, and, and that's a, a great piece and kind of going back to, you know, the differentiation of Special Olympics or Paralympics and Special or in general Olympics um, is that Special Olympics has something for for everyone, and we have high, first class, amazing, amazing athletes, and that's the the goal or the peak and the pinnacle. But we also have programs and opportunities in sports for those that are are just kind of getting into this this piece and working in skill sets. And so, um, Special Olympics has a unique divisioning system that is always working and pairing on athletes, teams, unified components with similar abilities and so that no one is ever left behind. And so from a unified approach, you're right. I mean, we have some just high, high quality athletes and teams and they're going to then be paired with other high quality and athletic teams in, in division. And then if there's a team that is just starting out, 
maybe it's a new to the sport, you know, flag football. Um, I'll use flag football as an example. That's a unified sport here in Michigan. It's growing throughout the country. Um, we actually at USA Games in Seattle uh, this past July, we had a unified team from the Lansing area take gold um, in flag football. But um, so it's growing, but there's anytime you have a new sport, there's a learning curve, there's an ability curve, you know, so so teams that are just getting into it, they're going to learn, train, work just like any other sport, but then they're going to be paired against similar teams and abilities. And so that's what's really great. Uh, another component about Special Olympics is that everyone can compete and the goal is to continue to raise that performance, but you're going to be competing on a similar plane where everyone's goal is to, you know, be brave in the attempt and, and, and work, you know, towards that. Yeah, and you mentioned be brave in the attempt, and the first part of that is let me win, right? Mm-hmm, let mm-hmm. me win, and that competitive element is really interesting. That uh, it sounds like you're building sort of a tiered or a participation model that is inclusive for everyone. One of the things that we see, especially in popular media, is sort of this uh, moment of inclusion that gets on ESPN. Right. So that moment where a student at generally at a high school with a cognitive disability uh, has participated on the team, likely in a way that is very different than the other participants. Right. And then a moment comes up where either the game is lopsided or they stop at a moment. And then somebody comes out, makes a basket, runs for a touchdown. And you can clearly see the other participants, the other players sort of backing off and letting that person go and everybody feels good about that. Is that model helping? Is that model hurting? How would you say, how would you respond to those really popular moments that end up in media? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something that we we wrestle with a little bit um, as, as a movement from state to state, and I'm sure from staff member to staff member. So um, from from a Special Olympics standpoint, so I'll give you the answer kind of from Special Olympics, and then I'll give you my personal answer Perfect. as well, is um, first off, sports is our core with Special Olympics, and good quality sports is a good quality Special Olympics. And so um, again, everything that we do is certified referees, certified coaches, components. We want good quality athletic competition. Um, you know, as you talked about, you're, you're right. You see the stories that pop up on social media or, or um, you know, on the news of that team that the individual who gets the football and runs down and everyone, you know, falls to the ground and scores a touchdown. And, and you know, for, for that individual and that, that place, that could be, you know, really good and fun, you know, and, and that's a sports moment for that individual or family or student body. Um, but, but personally, you know, I don't know if that does a lot to the movement of equality. You know, I would rather have, if someone's going to score a touchdown, we want them to be scoring a touchdown because of their ability. And again, going back to that tier system, you know, where you're going to compete and have it be true competition, not being okay, where we have to kind of um, let this individual do it. You know, in Special Olympics, they're going to score a basket on their ability because they've worked and trained hard. And there's going to be someone trying to stop them in floor hockey and volleyball. 
and swimming trying to beat their personal time. And so, um, you know, we're very much about that athletic and competitive spirit. And, and, and that's kind of coming back from our founder, uh, Eunice Kennedy Shriver. She was very competitive. And when they talked about that first ever Special Olympics at Soldier Field, they thought, well, everyone should win. Said, no, not everyone should win. It's a gold medal, it's a silver medal, and it's a bronze medal. And and that's that's part of this life and period. So, you know, um, you're not going to find that moment at a Special Olympics Michigan event where someone gets a ball and runs and scores and everyone moves away or someone, you know, just as handed the basket. What you're going to see is these athletes um, really competing and giving everything that they have. And when they score, it is a true score. And that, again, we feel not only helps that competitive component, but that is, again, unlocking that inclusion mind. You know, um, we have a, a runner um, here in, in Michigan who just qualified for the Boston Marathon. You know, I watched him run and compete in the races and it was just incredible. You know, we have individuals um, on basketball and, and, and leagues and just have the highest quality competitive spirit and they work and they work. You know, if that individual, we just said, okay, we're not going to keep time. You know, we're just going to let him, you know, kind of walk or run around, you know, what do you what do you have gotten to that level? And so again, we believe that good sports and good competitive sports is is good Special Olympics. It seems to be a bit of a, a middle position that seems really healthy philosophically as we understand sports. So we're not sort of at this um, super cutthroat. You know, winning is the only thing. If you're not a winner, you're a loser. On on one end, we're not there, but we're also not you know, uh, just promoting participation for participation's sake and, and giving everybody a ribbon and, and saying, and maybe, maybe, maybe that you do, but we're not saying that everybody's a winner. Uh, everybody is a good person, uh, potentially, but, but not everybody wins. And so there's this middle ground that, that, that we, we, we love um, where that's, that's, that seems to be a, a really strong part of the essence of sport. That's what draws us to it is that we can all participate and we can be brave in the attempt and it is it takes courage to do something like that but we can't all win yeah and so to understand that is an important part of sport so um what's going on here though is it, it's sport it's elite sport it's high level sport it's promoting uh you know discipline and, and all these other things that come along with sport seeing who's the best seeing who wins those types of things are important in a competitive structure um, but there's also the Special Olympics, like like many other sporting sort of enterprises, have have uh, an affective component to it. There's something else going on as well. How do you put words to describing maybe the the culture of Special Olympics and and what you're trying to do, maybe outside of the lines, off the track, off the field, beyond the court? Yeah. So you know the the word I think about most is is community. You know, for, for anything, when you talk about Special Olympics, um, you know, in general, and speaking to Special Olympics, Michigan, it's it's community. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time, I talked a lot of time of that, that power of sport, and you're exactly right. You said that's that middle ground where it's, I, I think it's what's everything good about sports, Special Olympics. Um, you know, I'll use a, a quick, one more quick story and then get to, to this other component of um, at USA Games. So in Seattle this past year, um, this past summer, the 
Special Olympics, different states compete every four years, just traditional Olympics in um, a kind of national showcase in games. And um, Michigan, we had a volleyball team and they were competing for gold against Washington, the home home state. And it was a hotly contested battle, kind of they, they had played each other in prelims earlier in the week, two excellent teams and they're battling and going and it's you know tied one to one with matches and they're going to go to the third match and so it's break teams go to their benches and all of a sudden you know music starts on you know the loudspeaker and and the gym's full and they've got um some kind of individuals and volunteers that are they're pumping up the crowd and spirit and this music and you see, start seeing some of the players kind of moving along to the music and going, and all of a sudden the other team, and you know, all of a sudden the, both of these teams are out there together. I mean, they're just going at it full speed and hard and competitive, and you know, smashing the ball at each other and blocking. But then there's this moment of community where all of a sudden, you know, hey, we're in this together, and the music's going, and they're fun, you know, and, and there's kind of this break and dancing and moving and shaking hands and talking to each other, and then whistle blows, and we're back at the court. And, and again, I'm just sitting back there in awe saying, again, that, that sports, it's that competitive component, but it's that teamwork and building. Um, so one of the things that Special Olympics has really realized, again, in these last 50 years of the movement is um, – how the sports has been such a great piece and component of an individual's athlete's life, but there's a lot of other components and a lot of other areas that hasn't caught up with that, you know, inclusion of sports. And one of the big areas was the health or overall wellness of, of our athletes, you know, just looking at, at individuals, in the whole spectrum of disabilities, there's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of non-opportunities in going. And um, so while an athlete would come and, and participate, whether in you know a sport for 12 weeks and train and go, what happens to the other nine months? Um, and so they, they've really kind of looked at this health and wellness kind of overall all piece. And um, there's a, a really shocking statistic um, and report that just came out a few um, years ago and, and, and a big part of, of leading the way by Special Olympics International that received some um, significant um, grant funding in California. But an individual with an intellectual disability has the average life expectancy of 16 years shorter than an individual without and the only reason is because of lack of care and access to health care. And, and, and that's that's a travesty, you know. Um, and so Special Olympics, as this movement has kind of seen this and taken this on and said, okay, we need to do something about this as well. We need to have this for our athletes. And, and some athletes do. They participate in sports all the year, year round. But what a what a again, social travesty that just because you have an intellectual disability or someone is that they're going to have a shorter life. And um, they've really kind of geared up and in, in, in kind of this next 50 year movement of maintaining sports, maintaining this unified strategy, but the overall being and health of an athlete um, in designing programs um, focused on access to healthcare, nutrition, um, you know, education, 
when I talked about unified strategies being a big priority in Michigan, unified and health and wellness are two of our big things starting in, in 2019 and, and beyond. And we already have great components of, of that. You know, Michigan is, is really a leader in this movement throughout the country. Um, and we want to continue to do that and, and putting a greater emphasis on that. And how can we make this a, a, a you know, equal component for individuals that, that there is not this disparity in, in, in care and time. We're speaking with Tim Heilman, president and CEO of Special Olympics Michigan. And we've walked through a little bit of the history of the Special Olympics and really the future of Special Olympics as we think about the foundation and the trajectory that it set this organization on and the number of people that this organization has served has just been fantastic. The vision by Eunice Kennedy Shriver is really quite amazing. To In that time period, to not simply build on something um, maybe kind and compassionate and special for people with intellectual disabilities. Instead, it was more about giving them human opportunities. The idea that you're a, you're a human being and human beings love sport, let's make sport a regular part of everyone's lives. And let's let sport be sport in that process. And I think that that was just an amazing discovery at that time and a real conviction to make that happen. Turned out that now as this has grown into such a big organization, it has become, it's now helpful to use it as an advocacy tool. Also, I think um, this new movement toward health and wellness is, is even an opportunity to maybe even surpass because if you look at the general population in health and wellness, we're all not doing so well. And so perhaps Special Olympics could even surpass where uh, the general population is in terms of year-round health and wellness and be a model. And so that's a whole new thought maybe to think about how all of this stuff can, can blend together. The Special Olympic athlete trains. The Special Olympic athlete prepares and just like all other athletes, feels the joy of winning and the pain of losing and that's a part of being human a part of life and we're, we're really thankful for that here on this podcast we're thankful for that as uh, athletes ourselves or people that just participate in regular physical activity we're thankful for the health that it brings it's a it's it's something that we have an opportunity to continue to uh, tweak and develop but it's it's one of those foundational things that we all love and keep coming back to one of the things that uh, we're excited about is that next year, uh, Chad and I are leading a conference. Uh, it's in October, October 23 through 27. It's called the Global Congress on Sport and Christianity. And uh, the first one met in New York, England, and then the second one will meet in, at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And one of our speakers is Loretta Claiborne. Uh, do you have any interaction? Have you had any interactions with Loretta Claiborne, who is a very acclaimed special olympic athlete yeah she loretta is incredible and and she actually has the official title of chief inspiration officer <laughs> um for special olympics and, and and just again just an incredible human being an incredible 
athlete, an incredible advocate. So um, I actually had the pleasure of having dinner with Loretta a, a few weeks back um, uh, in Washington, D.C. with Special Olympics International Headquarters. So they did a, a new president and CEO orientation. Um, and, and so Loretta um, came and spoke to the group and again, just so passionate and so understanding and and knows it and has that that perspective um, I, I think that's that's an important part of Special Olympics um, of that philosophy as well as that we're not an organization for athletes we're an organization with athletes and led by athletes and I think that's different from a lot of organizations too you know that's that that piece of kind of moving to the, the future and so um, you know, there's the Loretta Claiborne story, the movie that's out there, great, great tool and going and, um, you know, felt really honored. Uh, the Smithsonian um, uh, U.S. History uh, Museum in D.C. now has a Special Olympics um, a display. And, and, and so Loretta is featured there and gave us a tour and talked. And so um, anytime, if anyone has the chance to hear and see Loretta speak or meet her, I absolutely say you need to go because she's an incredible individual. Um, again, as we said, chief inspiration officer, but just her story, um, her um, passion for you know inclusion is incredible. So, so anyone that I could ever help, um, you know spread the word for, for that conference. I think that's incredible that she's coming right here to Grand Rapids because, yeah, yeah, people will not be disappointed. We are very excited about that and uh, looking forward to it. Tim, we've had uh, a great conversation here, and uh, we could go on and on, but I think we've learned a lot about the sort of history of the Special Olympics and its future, and that's really an exciting future. We want to sort of move this last section to what we call a speed round just so we can get to know you a little bit and so yeah. our listeners can get to know you. Chad's going to ask you some questions and I'll jump in there as well and we'll just uh, we want you to just give your first impression. Let us know where you're uh, what you're about and uh, we'll wrap it up from there. All right so this first one is going to be maybe less less speed round. Maybe this will be sort of a slow a slow move from the previous discussion into this this speed round. Here's my question for you Tim. Um, you mentioned we, we talked about Loretta Claiborne mm -hmm. and and how inspirational she is. So much of of sport in general is built around stories, and she's got such a great story and, and has been so inspirational. By the way, uh, Chief Inspiration Officer, what a cool title! If I'm if I'm never going to be a CEO or president of something, I would love to be a CIO. How cool would that be? We're going to give you that title. Chad. I'll take We're, it. Yeah. Okay. CIO of di of of this podcast. Is that okay? Absolutely. Can I be the CIO. Absolutely. Right. That comes with a pay raise. You get double <laughs> what you're getting now. Man, I. I I'm speechless. Th thank you. That's not very right. inspirational. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get on the question then. So the question is, we've got Loretta Claiborne as sort of this um, premier accomplished. If there was a Hall of Fame of Special Olympians, she would be in it. Give us a couple of, of names or stories of Special Olympians in, in Michigan, for instance, those that among this, this group that you're overseeing, that we might say, hey, here are some potential Hall of Fame candidates for Special Olympics in Michigan. Give us a couple stories. Yeah, so um, just one of the stories I'll I'll share it in, in a little bit real quick about how how I got involved with Special Olympics because you know if I had a Hall of Fame athlete it would be you know 
this individual who really opened my eyes up to this movement and going. So, so I was a social worker in Grand Rapids um, for, for quite a few years prior to coming um, to Special Olympics. And I had an individual um, on my caseload, an adult male, who, who was um, kind of a tough, tough case. Anytime I was around him, um, did not like to speak a lot, interact, engage, kind of head down. Um, and just, I wasn't, um, just didn't feel like he wanted to be there. And then we talked with the home and the same thing. And so I would go at different settings, whether it was um, the the workshop that he was at or his home, or even we'd go to coffee, same reaction. He just didn't have a high quality of life. Just every time interact with him was just not a really happy individual. Um, and one day we were talking and just kind of an, and brought up on, on side conversation, head down, you know, you want to come to my basketball game? I said, oh, okay, th- this is kind of a door opening, interaction. And so um, I said, yeah, I'd love to. He didn't have a lot of the details or information. So I went and talked to the home staff and said, yep, he does, he does basketball. Um, and, and they go, and that that's his favorite thing. I said, okay, so I'm going to go. And so um, we ended up going to a basketball event. I took my uh, oldest son at the time, who was six years old, and we went to the Special Olympics Area 11, right, local Kent County basketball game. And when I got there and I saw him on the court, he was a different person. The hunched down shoulders, the head down that I used to see in other pieces of life, his head was up, he was animated, vocal, and it was just, there was this radiance that was just glowing that, that filled the gym. Um, and I, I just remember saying, boy, this, whatever this organization is, because I didn't have that background, is so good. And again, talking about that sports. And so um, his name was Eric. Um, and so, and I've shared that story with other people because again, that is one story out of the 27,000 in Michigan that that the sport does and it, it it's empowerment and joy but I saw it firsthand of this guy who who just would not provide two words and all of a sudden he was alive on that court and shooting and and, and, and you know and animated and thought boy that was so great you know when you guys talk about that transformative power of sports that that, that was fantastic um mentioned earlier again we have an athlete in Kalamazoo he was at the USA Games Julian um, who won the gold in the 10k won the gold in the 5k never done a marathon Um, and there's an athlete named Andrew in Indiana and those two were kind of rivals they had raced against each other four years ago at USA Games at Andrew and, and just stating hey I'm I'm doing a Boston marathon I've trained hard and worked and you should do it and, and Julian hadn't even thought of, of that concept of going, you know, he just won the gold in 10K, which was just huge, and said, yeah, that would be kind of fun, and trained and trained, and then just a couple months ago qualified with a time 11 minutes faster than a minimum qualifying time and just just flew. So, again, that's what's so great about Special Olympics is you have those athletes like Julian who are just, you know, high performance and superior, and then you have athletes – of Eric, who are kind of sometimes a little bit in the shadows and that isolation, but just comes alive on the court, you know, and, and, and participates. And so that's what what really just kind of draws me to this incredible, incredible organization. 
Well, I think what you said there is how people get into Special Olympics. You come in through a person or through a story, and once you see it and once you get involved in it, it, it is very attractive. It's magnetic. Mm-hmm. Chad is now the chief inspiration officer, but he lost his role as speed round coordinator. Ah, yeah, that, that wasn't was, a, that was you're right. Uh, not a, not a, that was a little slow. Chad, do you, you want one more chance? Okay, give me give me a second chance. All right, I'll here. give you a second chance. Uh, another pitch. So we got these stories, Eric. Julian, Andrew, these really cool stories of, of, of people who sort of come alive through these sports. For you or for your family, are there particular sports that make you guys come alive? Yeah, so so I have three children, um, eighth grader, fourth grader, and second grader, and sports is a big, big part of our lives. So we're a big um, basketball and soccer family, and then baseball and softball. Um, and my daughter is so excited. Um, she's a fourth grader. Um, one, she wants to um, be a unified partner and athlete, but she just can't wait to to volunteer. Uh, Special Olympics in Michigan, we have six statewide events um, and over 700 local events. So there's always opportunity to engage and go. But yeah, our, as I mentioned earlier, this is a perfect job for me and, and, and our family because we, we love sports and um, we're always traveling around. And so um, and, and my daughter, who's going to be doing a polar plunge this year for the first time. Ooh. And her reason for it is she goes, Every kid should have the chance to play sports, Dad. And I said that I couldn't have said it any better myself. And so um, she's a little braver than the two brothers, um, as they are not <laughs> going to be doing the polar plunge. But but my daughter is. But yeah, we love sports. That's great. Do you and your and your kids have a particular team or athlete that you cheer for? Um, yeah. So so it's kind of with my title now. I guess kind kind of that that funny title. Um, I guess I have to be a little biased when I go to uh, events or go on. So I really like the the USA games or regional games where it's Michigan against others. So I can be full full on um, Michigan teams. You know, since since I, I live in Kent County in the area 11, that's always kind of a, a special special piece of, of, of my heart. But um, you know, anytime I see someone um, in Special Olympics from from when I was a social worker in days. I, I guess I'm always rooting and cheering a little extra for, for them as well. Oh, how cool. Hey, I've got two more questions for you, and these are going to be maybe, um, well, let me set it, set it up for you. These are going to be elevator talk answers, okay? So you, you have 30 seconds to a minute where you're in the elevator with a particular person. We'll say this is a really important person like, like Brian Bolt or something like that. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's the first example that came to my mind right. of a really important person. And you've got to convince them of, of this thing. Okay. So here's the first one that I'm going to uh, gonna ask you of. Elevator answer, 30 seconds to a minute. Um, what is the value of unified sport? 30 seconds to a minute. Ding. You're in the elevator. Go. Yep. So unified sports is this combination of sports that really fights inactivity injustice and intolerance it is this vision that all of us have abilities no matter what on the sports field that we can compete together that everyone has gifts everyone has abilities and they can be work together to form this great community and team and then with that it's a natural way of life, and that's what this should be it's just a natural way of life not looking at the the dis abilities but looking at the ability nice i think that was within the time range brian are you convinced yeah this is my floor i gotta get off (laughs) (laughs) all right get off the elevator we'll get you with a more important person now we've got bill houston here in the studio with us bill from our daily bread uh bill's person you got to convince that this next one unfortunately bill won't be able to respond to this but we'll just we'll 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 
we'll tell the listeners how he, he's nodding his head or shaking his head. Here's the next thing. Um, and this may not be so much convincing as, as just I- explaining or describing. Why would a Christian care about Special Olympics? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, my mother, actually, we were talking yesterday. I haven't seen her in, in, in quite a while. And a and, um, mother who's a lay pastor over in the thumb. And, and I was showing her our newest promotional video about Special Olympics. And she just goes, this is just, just God's work of creation. And, and I said, you know, um, our, our pastor... Um, quite a few years ago had a great sermon that I'll never forget and, and said, you know, one of the ways he believes that, that we as Christians can continue to move and grow and get closer to God is caring and loving about those that God loves the most. And, and as we know, God's great love of everyone, but has that special heart for those that are sometimes looked upon of being on the outside, being marginalized. And Special Olympics opens up the arm to anyone with intellectual disability and says, we see you for your greatness, your fearlessness. Be a part of this community. Compete. Let us help just provide the stage for you to show the world all the things you can do. Bill, give us a thumbs up. Do I see tears coming out of your eyes? That's nice. such a, it's a good, eloquent answer. Nice. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Bill's an easy crier. I don't know. <laughs> Hey, uh, Tim, this has been fantastic. It's been great to get to know you a little bit. It's been awesome for us to get a better sense of the history and the future of the Special Olympics. And so thank you for coming out. Thank you for uh, giving us your passion for uh, the work that you do and also kind of a vision to help draw other people in. Uh, I know that the Special Olympics is a volunteer organization in many ways, and so if people wanted to get involved, how does somebody get started in Special Olympics? Yeah, absolutely. So the first part is, you know, go to our website and check it out, somi.org. So SOMI, um, you know, as we, we stated, this is a large global movement, but it's really grassroots for covering every single county in the state of Michigan and all the different areas. We have a small staff. We are lean and it's really based on the power of volunteers, whether, you know, you have a, a a sport that you love and want to become a coach and help others bring other people into that sport, whether it's helping out at an event, whether it's saying, I am willing to jump in a very cold, you know, body of water, be cold, be bold, to raise money for Special Olympics. I'll do that. You know, we have a lot of college students as an entry point of, of, of that piece. Um, and so, you know, go to our website, somi.org. The, the other piece I'll, I'll say since you opened it up, and I'm not a good president or CEO if I don't talk a little bit about fundraising or development, is that um, there is no cost to any of our athletes. That was a big part from Eunice's, um, you know, start to our board chair, Tim Shriver. The majority of our athletes don't have that ancillary income or component, you know. Um, and so, the cost of sports can be expensive. And so there is no cost at all to our athletes. And all of that is raised 100% by philanthropic funds and donations. So whether it's $5 where it's attending an event, whether it's $50,000, um, all the gifts that, that go to Special Olympics Michigan directly support our athletes. But yeah, go to somi.org. Um, we love adding more people to the, to the family every day. And, and um, you know, I love talking about this incredible organization. And so always happy to answer questions myself. 
Well, thank you very much, Tim. This is uh, Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. And if you want to listen to other episodes of Dig Deep, you can find them on iTunes. For now, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next time.